The worst kept secret in the luxury social events industry is that businesses are developed through networking, referrals and word of mouth. RSVP puts all of you in the room and lets the conversations happen. We are a member networking community for the elite of the global wedding and party industry, producing symposium conferences, awards, networking theme parties, breakfast clubs, and now weekly member podcasts and much more. So welcome to the RSVP In Conversation With podcast. My guest today describes herself thus. Since my early years, I've mastered the art of not sitting still. As a self-proclaimed non-academic person in the family, I set myself challenges from a young age in pretty much everything I could, from competing at club and school level in swimming and netball, playing the piano, clarinet, and singing. My schedule was non-stop, but my true passion lay in my absolute love for all aspects of dancing and performing, particularly ballet and tap. From the age of 12, I was desperate to work, so I started in the local coffee shop. At 14, I rearranged an entire rugby club bar and then ran it, one of the three jobs I had when I was 16. At 18, I ventured down south to study international hospitality management, and I secured a placement at the Admiral Crichton, meeting Johnny Roxburgh, and he got his, his hands on my accents, and from then, it was only the northern soul to remain, but an incredible desire to continue my journey in global events. Certainly, if there was a party and I wasn't planning it, I would be attending it. Further stints with London's event planning companies, and as James has said, I received the Rolls-Royce of event training, led me to finally making the jump 15 years on to opening my very own company specialising in planning international events. Worldwide concierge and luxury travel itineraries, and core lifestyle was born. Now, in the first of these podcasts, the interviewee's brother has also chipped in with the following. <laughs> uh, and because I'm a nice man, I have allowed it. So he says, and what actually, what's his name? Guy. Guy, okay. Guy says she has always pushed limits from the early parts of her life, mainly mine. Robin has a very close-knit group of friends who she adores and will do anything for. More recently, since setting up Encore, establishing a healthy work-life balance has been really important, with her two nieces benefiting massively as she is such a wonderful auntie. Robin takes so much pride in her home, making it feel welcoming, warm and stylish. No matter what house or flat, it always feels like Robin's home. Qualities I believe she takes into her business. We are very proud of her. So welcome, Robin Isherwood. Hello. <laughs> hello, hello. Now, you are from Clitheroe in Lancashire. I am. A fellow Lancastrian, and you did say that Johnny Roxburgh beat the... Um, uh, the accent out of you but as i'm also from lancashire and to put two people in the same room together as this <laughs> podcast goes on over the half an hour i imagine we'll get a lot lot more broad all right yes probably <laughs> probably probably so robin you grew up in clitheroe in lancashire yes <laughs> tell us all about that your upbringing your earliest memory we've had a bit of a pricey but just tell us a bit more detail clitheroe is a very small little town in um in a valley which i think it rains 75 percent of the year um it's uh i went to uh, a normal primary school and a normal high school and i just did as much as i possibly could my my brother got into the grammar school and so from then in my head i was i was not the academic um which my mom repeatedly remind me that I was still very academic but in my head that that's 
you know, that wasn't me. So I was just, I had to prove myself in every other corner of my life. (laughs) Do you have a first memory of growing up in Clitheroe? I do. It is of the birthday cake um, that we used to get at nursery. And it's still Mm -hmm. to this day, one of the best cakes ever. And you were allowed on your birthday to pick your friends and I vividly remember this tiny little kitchen and you got to pick the color of the icing and mix the icing up. And then they had a train candle, which went across the top. And it was just like, and now, you know, the, the school, you can now actually buy like school tray bake. Mm-hmm. It's like a, it's like an Instagrammable thing. Every time I taste it or try it, I'm like sent back to being like three years old <laughs> in, in my little nursery with my besties. Okay. Okay. And what did your parents do? Mum's a bookkeeper um, and she's now my bookkeeper for Encore. Um, There we go. And uh, dad used to, well, mum and dad, they used to actually have mills, um, so carpet Mm -hmm. mills in Lancashire. So for a long time, we grew up in the mills. Um, We actually joke about it now. We're like, hmm, child labour. My dad was was a real entrepreneur for his time. And basically came up with the idea of fusing together yarns of um, carpet. So once you make a carpet and the yarns all go off at the same time, you end up with bits of yarn on each different cone. And so he his factory was then, he fused them back together and reset them back onto the cones. But me and my brother used to, at the weekends, go and strip the yarns because he had to get the yarns off. We were tiny, but I... I remember the Arctic lorries that used to turn up and I would always go and sit in the front of the Arctic lorries and press the, the, I think it's the brake. I don't know, but it sounded great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I remember the, and one of the guys, he always used to bring chocolate raisins and I don't know whether he got them from the ferry crossing or so, I don't know where, but he always brought some chocolates. Anyway, I completely flattened his battery, which wasn't <laughs> overly... <laughs> welcomed i suppose it was a 1980s version of sending a kid up the chimney i suppose oh, like in yeah. Victoria. Yeah, so yeah, yeah 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 and we used to like climb up, up into mm-hmm. like we used to play hide and seek like up the um the, the metal shelving in the in the in the mill <laughs> and hide from our parents <laughs> <laughs> okay so that's that's your first memory you went to and then you then you escaped at the yeah. age of 18 and you and you came down here down south and you went to university but you bet the mr johnny roxborough who we've not yet done and and actually it's reminded me we need to i need to give him a call and just get him yeah. to do one of these because he will be very very entertaining but what did johnny teach you and just bear in mind my i spent 72 hours in the presence of johnny for the fact i'd never met him before in about 15 years ago and i've never recovered 15 right. years later, I have not recovered from that 72 hours. It was yeah. exhausting. Uh, but, <laughs> but but tell me, sort of, what did you learn from Johnny? I think it was, I mean, I, I'd gone to Oxford Brooks University and I knew I wanted to do events from the age of 12. My granny was very, very forward, which my granny was super cool. And she was like, Robin, you need to do events. And at the time, like at school, you're not taught you're taught, you know, you go and do business and you go and do this. And even my sixth form was very adamant that I needed to go to a Red Brick University and I needed to do business studies. And then from there, I could go into events. And I was just hell bent on being 
no. And mum was so for it. And it was mum that did all the research into the universities that I went to. And we ended up going down to Oxford Brooks and we went as a jolly because I was going to go to Leeds. All my friends were going to Leeds. Leeds had a fantastic events management course. And we went down to Oxford and we just fell in love. We fell in love with the course. We fell in love with the people. And one of the biggest things about the course was in your second year, not third, you did a year placement. And being so close to London, they had so many connections with London in terms of five-star hotels and really amazing companies. And one of which was the Admiral Crichton. And I kind of just got it in my head. I was like, that's what I want. And they put me forward for it. And obviously most people at the time, you know, that was the dream placement you could possibly get. And I remember I went for my interview and being the Northern girl that I, I was, I think I went to university with 28 pairs of heels and about three flats. And then all of my friends that I met there had all flats and no heels. And so I went to the interview in these high-waisted, really cool trousers that I thought, and these brand new peep toe black velvet heels with a a corsage flower in velvet on the front, and they were killer heels. I remember sitting in the reception of the Admiral Crichton, waiting for my interview, feeling very nervous, and Johnny walked in walked past me, stopped, reversed, looked down at my shoes and went, fabulous shoes, and then walked off. And I was like, oh, oh my gosh, he noticed my shoes. Oh. And, and then we, we had this incredible interview where I was, I was so northern at that point. I was, you're right, nice to meet you, like re- really broad northern. And you could see he was a bit kind of shell-shocked as to kind of what I was talking about. But when I started to explain that I had taken over my dad's rugby club bar, I was a waitress, I'd run some weddings, I'd run both of my proms at school. I was so desperate to be in events and I think he saw the passion at that point. And then I got the placement and then it was a year's placement working around every single section of the whole of the AC. So I actually also had to be a porter for a week. That lasted a week. And then the South African porters were like, yes, we don't need you to carry any more pillows. Thank you very much. I was like, (laughs) okay, phew. Okay, I can go back to the sales office. And then, um, you know, it was was a really strange time because it was when Lehman Brothers crashed. Oh, right, okay. That was one of their biggest clients. 2008 time, yes. Mm. Yeah. That was one of their biggest clients. So Mm -hmm. it was a big wake up call for me, you know, they had to unfortunately make some redundancies, but, and at one stage, I didn't know if my role was actually going to be safe. And then it was kind of like sink or swim. And so I swam. And then that was the time that I was moved to the atelier, which the atelier at Johnny Roxborough, like, you you know, his office, which was him, Barbara and PPP, uh-huh. They dealt with the over a million pound events and the royal events, and you just got this insight into this crazy world that was Johnny Roxburgh's brain. One of the most inspiring, creative um, people I've ever met. But I mean, when I first started and I was on reception at the AC, he used to call the reception. 
and try and trick me out, <laughs> trick me. And I, I would pick up the phone about, hello, the Admiral Crichton. And he'd go, Robin, you know we don't speak like that here. Try again. And I'd be like, oh, okay. Hello, the admirable Crichton. <laughs> and even when I was serving canapes, I remember a job with Barbara. And um, I was like, this is the duck and something, something, something. Oh, no. And these, these people <laughs> were just looking at me like, hey, sorry, what? And I was like, it's the duck canopy. <laughs> and Barbara came flying over and was like, oh, ha, she means duck. And I just remember at that point, I was like, God, if I'm going to, if we're going to make it in this industry, really? I might need to like sharpen up a little. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. yeah, I mean, he was an incredible um, guidance to me. He even taught me etiquette in terms of when you're in a social situation and you're dining, when you're speaking at the table, don't speak with your hands. Put your knife okay. and fork down and then speak and then pick your knife and fork up. But I mean, it was incredible. And off the back of that, I won the best placement in the UK. Um, Fantastic which was kind of special. Well, let's move on a, li a little bit. You, I've done quite a few of these now, and um, I think you're about the 15th or something. But the two things that's really coming out with everybody I'm interviewing in this industry is one is the ferocious work ethic, and, <laughs> and everyone seems to have that. And two is the love of dance. Uh, um, it is, um, right. especially, especially if you're female, uh, it's dancing work ethic ladies seem to want to come into this profession so but then again let's so is dance your favorite art form or yes. is it film music or something else no it's dance and very much so ballet from dance mm -hmm. um i did ballet from the age of two i danced three times a week from two to 18 and actually a couple of years ago i started ballet again and mm -hmm. ballet just gave me the love of the art form itself the appreciation of classical music, but also the discipline. You know, you can't do ballet for that many years without being disciplined. You've got to discipline your body. You've got to discipline your mind. You know, in class, you were disciplined. It was hair back, nothing on your face. You, you didn't speak unless you were spoken to. You, you know, and you were putting your body, my toes, when I was on point and things, through a lot of stress. And then your exams and your, you know, your shows on stage, like you had to kind of be perfect because that's kind of what it was all about. And it gave me this kind of love of performing and whether that be performing in dance or just a performance of some kind, because when you're doing your ballet and you've got all your different styles and and even just with all my other dancing, tap, ballet, modern, jazz, theatre, grass, street dance, everything. The performance side of it, the start, middle, end, that's how I now look at events. Like I, I can yeah. create a performance, you know, there's, there's a slow, there's an up, and then you bring them back down. And I feel like a lot of that has come from my training for years and being on stage and performing. And are you into music to go to gigs? I do. Um, I'm more of a, I mean, I love, we just actually recently, we, I just took my parents to Elton John. Mm -hmm. and we grew up every single Sunday, uh, Sunday roast. That was the one day that we were in the house um, and it was a non-negotiable. Like we had to all be sat around the table because um, the amount of activities that I did, like I had two activities a night minimum um, 
And so Sunday was roast day and it was either Elton John or Fleetwood Mac. And that was the CD that we'd always put on. And so (laughs) there's that kind of, you know, love for actual more bands. I'm kind of like the older side of things. I just took mum and her friends to the ABBA, the hologram event, which is insane and everyone needs to go. You love the 70s, it would seem. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. But I'm more of a dance girl. So, like, I love DJs. Do you remember your first gig you went to? Yeah, Justin Timberlake. Oh, well, let's move on. Vibes. Um. <laughs> <laughs> at the MEN, at the MEN Arena, I was like, oh. That is staying in, but if it was me, if, if it was reciprocated, I would insist it was removed from this interview. <laughs> um, okay, <laughs> okay. And do you have a special talent or is it dancing? So, if you get really drunk among friends, is what do you do? <laughs> My special talent, which my boyfriend hates, um, is I can really, really loudly wolf whistle, like the two finger, like, <laughs> and he's just like, right, come on. Okay. You have to do it. Let's break the machine. Oh come on. Come on. I don't know. Go on. Go on. <laughs> oh, no, now I can't do it. I'm under pressure. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. It's because I'm looking at myself. <laughs> no, I can't do it no. today. Okay, my boyfriend would be delighted. Now I, okay. need, now I really want to do it. No, my nails are too oh. long. Oh, okay. Phew. But usually, like, it's like, it's, it's deafening. It's piercing. It's piercing. And my brother okay. spent hours teaching me how to do it. Hours and okay. hours. <laughs> okay, okay, right. So um, you have in your house a bar, an imaginary bar, and behind the bar is the best barman in the world, and every single drink you could possibly ever want is in this bar. Alcoholic or non-alcoholic, what do you order from the best barman in the world? I do love a spicy margarita. Mm-hmm. And a really good one is, yeah, it's either, mm, yeah, I'd say like a really decent spicy good. margarita. I mean, okay. I do actually have a bar and it's actually just there <laughs> and it is it is full of alcohol. <laughs> I just go. don't have the best barman in the world to find. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and, and if you could have any kind of food, either prepared in your own home by a best chef or you go out somewhere if you could have a number one cuisine what would it be so i've got a split between sushi and roast dinner it's a 50 50 love of both okay you probably couldn't do both it would be quite an odd no. combination wouldn't it no. yes okay fine okay so actually because of that i'm going to allow you two answers to this um so we you're having a dinner party yeah and you, you got two dinner parties on consecutive nights one where you serve sushi and one right. where you serve roast beef and Yorkshire pudding. Okay. Yeah. And and you can have anybody around the table, alive or dead, on each night. Because oh, no, I've got to do this twice. Well, well, yes, yeah, sorry. Because you, you didn't give me a straight answer to the favorite food. Um alive <laughs> but, or dead. But, but but sushi might lend itself to different kinds of people or roast dinner might. Yeah. Roast dinner, I I mean, I'm I'm a sucker for a family roast. So the the family would need to be there, including my two yeah. nieces who are okay. my wife. Mm-hmm. And my grandparents. That would be nice to okay. have them back on so this world. It's a family roast, okay. And then it's a family you're serving, roast. The sushi, you're serving the sushi, sushi with the margaritas. So with this the margaritas, is um, yeah. I would love to actually have this is a tough one, James. This is a real tough one. I think... Alive or dead? Alive or dead. 
I'm like trying to think of some people, and I'm like, I don't think they'd like sushi if they were still if they were alive. <laughs> oh well, but you you would force them to eat it. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. Eat the sushi. Yeah. Um, I would love to actually have somebody like, um, you know, the actual Nobu original. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Like have and like understand because I feel like, like Nobu was the first kind of in, that's how it came to London first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. And to see like the growth of that, that's now global. I would love to just kind of. Okay. Well, you, well, you've got Mr. Sushi there and he's, he, yeah. and he's also preparing the meal as well. And then sitting yeah. down with you. Okay. Anybody else around the table? Or is it just you? Um, and I mean, <laughs> my boyfriend can come along if he fancies it. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. So um, he, he's I think we need a musician. Uh, <laughs> I think I'd quite like. Um, is it Elton? I'd say Elton, just, you know, yeah, jamming along me. in the corner. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just giving a few, few of his best beats our way. And then. What else do we, so we've got the we've got the food, we've got the entertainment. Well clean wit, conversation. Yeah. Bit of charisma in the room, politician, scientist. Maybe like a Michael McIntyre. Oh right, okay. Okay. He yeah. he like makes me laugh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Nice little nice little jokes kind of situation. And then probably someone really spectacularly interesting. James, you. <laughs> You weren't the first person today to say that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I never get invited, though, so I don't know what, what the one oh, anyway, anyway. You're the one that invites everyone to your thing. I, so. I am, yes, yes, yes. So, now, we all work very, very hard, and you seem to work harder than everybody in the industry combined. Uh, but, but you do need to relax, and you've just told me you just come back from Babington and the Pig for four days. But if you had longer than four days if you had a week or two weeks and as a holiday where would you go to completely just forget about events and just completely chill yeah i think i think you're right like it's one of the biggest things in our industry that we don't give ourselves enough time to actually fully switch off for um and i found that over the 15 years there are two places in the world that i have been forced to switch off and one was the maldives because uh-huh. there is nothing else to do other than switch off. <laughs> and like, so I actually, I felt my, I genuinely felt that my brain was just like giving itself like a bit of love. And then uh-huh. more recently we went to the Philippines, which I questioned myself on the third flight and 24 hour journey to get there. Uh, but then when we woke up and it was just this view and just, you know, the Asian hospitality is just second to none. And we just sat and drank and ate and relaxed and swam. And again, I just gave myself that kind of brain space to allow like my entire body to just have a moment. And I, and I did that purposely in April before <laughs> the June and July that I've just endured. <laughs> <laughs> this this year seems to be as crazy as last year for a lot of people. It, it oh really is. It's um um yeah. Anyway, yeah. We know where you go. You go to the Maldives and, and and the Philippines, which I do agree with you on. Oh, that's well, I would probably go. Um, so let's just turn flip things to, to what you don't like. So you've heard of Room One Hundred and One, the Orwellian room that you put all the nasty things in life in. What would you put into Room One Hundred and One? What irritates me is. I think 
and I think probably a lot of people in our industry feel it, have been part of it, is that if you work so, so hard to create something and like the way that we all differentiate ourselves in the industry is to be different, to find your niche, to, and you know, you've created something. And if someone then just goes and picks it up and carbon copies it, puts their logo over the top of it, it, that for me, I'm just kind of like, come on. And I know there's the saying of like, you know, imitation is the biggest form of flattery, but when so you're it's putting... plagiarist, it's, yeah. it's, pla- it's plagiarism yeah. you don't like. And I, yes, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree and more. I just think, you know, there's so many ways that we can all be different in terms of creating creatives for events, in terms of branding, in terms of concepts for events. And I just think if someone has to go and take your entire concept and then just replicate it with a different name over the top, I just think, you know, it's sad because they're clearly not in the right industry. Well, it's ultimately, if everyone does work insane hours and has a work a work ethic and they run a, an efficient business, i.e., you know, um, the, the marquee doesn't fall down, which which doesn't really happen very often. I mean, you say that one, one the marquee that I was meant to use in Balbiano broke, uh, fell down two weeks before my event, so... Well, it didn't fall down on the day, so you know. And anyway, really? <laughs> <laughs> the only way that we can differentiate ourselves is through our creativity and the quality of of our ideas, and that is actually in the eye of the client as to what is the best idea as well. Correct. So, exactly. Uh, from that point of view, we 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 are digressing a little bit into business, which isn't this what we're about. But um, but I think everyone can probably relate to that who's listening to this podcast. So, is that the only thing you would put in? plagiarism I think plagiarism is the biggest I just like for me lying and plagiarism go away stay away from me (laughs) okay so no being naughty is a trait of RSVP it's one of our brand values and it's because I'm quite naughty um what's the naughtiest thing you've done are you willing to share it very few people are actually I will I did only tell my parents this I think about six months ago uh But when I was younger, I had a very naughty friend at school and she was great fun. And we had some wild times, but she was like the friend that your parents always like are worried about. Yeah. And she was that friend. And we went, to, we went to the Lake District with her parents and her, parent, her parents were very free. And, you know, we were kind of like allowed to kind of do what we needed to do. And they were walking and out with their other friends and we were staying in a cottage. And we were 16 we were 16 or maybe not even 16, 15, 16. And we decided it was a good idea to try driving for the first time. So we got into the, my friend's parents' friend's car because they left uh-huh. the car keys on the side. And it was in this big car park in the Lake District. And we turned on the car, see my parents do it so many times. And it worked. And then we, you know, just went for a little drive. Took it out. How old were you? I think I was probably 15 because I don't think we were that friendly when we were 16. So about 15. But when we then came to park it back in, I then scratched the whole side of the car <laughs> against my friend's parents' car. And oh. <laughs> so you, you trashed two cars. To this day, they don't know that we did that. <laughs> They came back and they were like, there's been a hit and run. Oh, my God. And we were like, no. 
oh my goodness and we went into like there was a shed in the cottage that we're staying in and we were like finding all these things and I think I think I found some like white spirit some turps and I got like rags and we were like trying to like rub and the paint was coming off and then we were like pushing the paint around and you think that you've done a great job until that all dries and then you realize (laughs) that you've also then just stripped all the paint off the side of a car so so yeah i'd say that's the naughtiest thing i've ever done yeah 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 no Uh, anything you want to confess i suppose you have confessed to scratches so i mean that's quite a big confession if that friend and their parents ever listen to this podcast i'm really sorry well, uh, it's very unlikely because no, no one listens to these. It's, it's just <laughs> two of us. It really is. It's so, yes, yes. Um, so we're actually coming to the end of our session now, I'm afraid. Oh, that's yes, a shame. We, we've had a half an hour of, of fun, but just as a final thing, actually, you're coming to Venice, aren't you? Yes, yes, I can't wait. Yes, okay. Well, if you want to meet Robin and loads of other great people, please also book your ticket for Venice. So thank you, Robin Isherwood person with a ferocious work ethic, a spicy margarita and sushi aficionado, a joyriding car scratcher, but ultimately a northern girl at heart. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much, James. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to this RSVP podcast. If you'd like to go onto our mailing list or join RSVP, then please go to our website at rsvp.club or email me at james at rsvp.club. Please keep your feedback coming and speak to you all next week.